I would like to draw your attention to Proverbs 30, the 30th proverb, and uh, verses 15 and 16 of that proverb. The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not, it is enough. Four things say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. I would like to speak to you about the fifth insatiable. The fifth insatiable. Lord God, would you speak to our hearts? Open our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to embrace your word. In Jesus' name, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory forevermore. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. The wise man mentioned four things that are never satisfied. The grave that regardless of how many people have died, continues to cry for more deaths and, and is never filled. The barren womb, which can never be satisfied as long as it is barren. The, the dry, parched earth, the desert, that never gets enough water. The water that would make the difference between it being a desert and a wilderness or a a beautiful and lush, productive place. And, and the fire that will consume so long as there is fuel and never quits on its own accord. But I believe that there is a fifth insatiable, uh, perhaps more, but I want to talk about this one in particular today. And this is an insatiable that, that uh, Kipling said could be seen on the banks of the great gray, green, greasy Limpopo River. When the elephant's child went down to ask the crocodile, what do crocodiles have for lunch? And, uh, of course, the elephant's child had been spanked and spanked and spanked and spanked by all of his relatives and the giraffe and the baboon and the hippopotamus and even the snake because the elephant's child was consumed with an insatiable curiosity an insatiable curiosity. That's the fifth insatiable. That's what mankind has, and 
it's not limited to mankind. Even, even animals are curious. Those of you that have raised a puppy or a kitten can testify that even animals have a curiosity. But there is, I don't believe any creature that has a curiosity as great as that that man has. Man has an insatiable curiosity. It becomes very evident uh, almost immediately when a baby is born. Um, there is a discovery process that happens and a curiosity that seems to never be satisfied. And at, at the beginning, the baby tries to answer its questions by, by putting everything within reach into its mouth and discovering with its tongue, what is this? Right. How does it feel? Is it good for food? And then it progresses from there, and as soon as, as a child almost learns to speak, there comes the millions of whys. Whys and whats. But even, even when the what is answered, there's a, there's a why. And even when the why is answered, there's another why. Well, why that? There's an insatiable curiosity. And I am going to use three biblical figures to illustrate uh, this curiosity. The first is going to be found in Exodus chapter 3, beginning with the first verse, and this figure is Moses. Exodus chapter 3 begins like this. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire and, and this is the key element there, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not consumed. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, to see, then God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. This is the defining moment in Moses' life. It took him 80 years to reach this moment. The first 40 years of his life was dedicated to learning, growing, obtaining position, and culminated in him trying to right a wrong that needed to be righted, but could only be righted in God's time and in God's way. 
And Moses made a mess of it because he tried, although he had a glimpse of the vision, he did not, he did not understand the mission. The vision and the mission did not mesh. And so Moses, at 40 years of age, made a tragic mistake. He, he tried to step in and fulfill a mission for which he was not yet prepared, but he thought he was prepared. He thought he knew everything there was to know. He had already been educated. He had already learned. He already had position. He already had power. But he didn't have what it took to do what God wanted to get done. Moses' solution was, was temporal. Moses' solution was humanistic. Moses' solution was uh, a quick fix. Moses' solution would not have reached the depths. Moses would have fixed things and kept the Israelites where they were. That was not God's plan. As a result of his mistake, Moses spent the next 40 years wandering, leading a flock of sheep, in the desert, in solitude, alone. And so it took Moses 40 years to get out of him what it took him 40 years to pick up in Egypt. Finally, after 40 years of separation, 40 years of quietness, 40 years of solitude, after 40 years of being alone, he was finally ready to hear God. And to get his attention, God used Moses' curiosity. He caused a bush to burn, but not to burn up. I personally believe that Moses had seen burning bushes before. He was in the desert, hot, 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 extreme heat that would cause a dry bush, especially one that had, that had some type of fuel in it, to burst in spontaneous combustion. I think Moses had seen burning bushes before. In fact, the Bible tells us Moses did not turn aside because of the burning bush. He turned aside because the bush was burning and was not consumed. This was a different burning bush. There was something unique about this bush. Might I say that there are many burning bushes in the world? Hollywood is extremely good at burning bushes. They can throw millions of dollars, millions of dollars into their pyrotechnics into their strange fires, into their music, into their special effects. Hollywood has made many burning bushes. And many people 
thinking that they're seeing something, have parked themselves in front of Hollywood to spend their life watching these burning bushes. Wow, look at this. They have turned aside. They have turned aside because of their curiosity. They've turned aside because they want to see what's going to happen next. They've turned aside because they wonder what the plot is and how it's going to end and who's going to fall in love with who and who's going to die and who's going to survive. And, and nowadays, how much blood and how, how much guts and how gory can it be? And, and, and all of this comes from something that God himself has placed inside the heart of men and women and boys and girls. And that is an insatiable curiosity. God gave you that curiosity. My curiosity has caused me to read books that, that I knew I knew before I finished the first chapter, this is a dumb book. The author does not know how to write. How to write. I've already picked up spelling errors. I've already picked up impossibilities. This is a dumb book, but my insatiable curiosity has kept me reading that stupid book all the way to the last chapter. And then I'm angry at myself for wasting my time reading a stupid book. And as soon as I'm finished, it goes into the trash because I never want to read it again. Our insatiable curiosity will lead us, if we don't guard it carefully, to pushing buttons and moving the cursor on the screen of your computer or accessing accessing things on YouTube on your phone or on your iPad or on your device insatiable curiosity will, will, will make you wonder well what's next what's if I what's this and and the devil who knows that he has but a short time to work has shared his, his secrets of advertising. Did you know that advertising is the number one industry in the United States? Did you know that advertising is a, is a larger industry than the second largest industry, at least the last time I looked, was textbooks, the manufacture of textbooks. It's a business, folks. It's not an education. It's a money-making business. They're interested in money. They're not interested in the well-being of your children. They're not interested in, in you getting a well-rounded education. It's money. They are interested in their biases and their, and their worldliness. But they know what works, and so on your computer screen pops a statement or into your email box is is a is an email with a link and and they've put they they've studied exactly what to put in the subject title so you don't read the email you don't click on the link you just see something on the subject title and that insatiable curiosity makes you wonder
I wonder what pictures they show. I wonder what it looks like. Insatiable curiosity causes a, a kid for the first time in their life to do something absolutely, completely, totally ignorant, stupid, dumb, unnatural, pick up a, a cigarette and light the end of it and start pulling smoke into their mouth. It's insatiable curiosity. Causes somebody to, to wonder what does a beer taste like? What does, what does a glass of wine feel like? What's it like to be high? What does this drug do? What does that drug do? This pill and, 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 and that weed and, and this crack. and what, what will it do? What's it like? But it's never satisfied. You don't just smoke a cigarette and say, all right, my curiosity is satisfied. That stinks. Don't want any more of that. Most people don't just take a drink and say, well, okay, now I know what beer tastes like. Now I know what wine tastes like. Now I know what whiskey tastes like. Now I know about these mixed drinks. Don't want any more. Because curiosity is insatiable. It's not just, well, what about this hit and this high? It's, can I go higher? Will I feel different? Uh, what's going to happen? They tell me that that cocaine is, is such a addicting drug because, because after the first high into an uninitiated body, into a pure body, into a clean body that has not been defiled by it, that, that it is so Powerful that the individual will actually spend the rest of their life all of the money that they have or can find or can steal trying to recreate that first high. But they're never satisfied. Never. God gave you a curiosity, but he did not give you a curiosity to spend it on pornography. He did not give you a curiosity to spend it on alcohol and drugs and cigarettes. God gave you a curiosity so that you would seek His face. So that you would desire to know Him. What are you like? Show me your face. Show me your glory. All that the world offers, all the movies, all the pop songs, all the thrills. Everything the world offers is a counterfeit. It may be a burning bush, but 
it burns up. It's gone. It's poof. It's, it's, it's a flash in the pan. It doesn't last. The only bush that is not consumed is the bush God is in. The only fire that, that never goes out is the fire of the Holy Ghost. The only well that never dries up is the one that flows from your innermost being. Rivers of living water. Everything the world has, it plays on your, your innermost desire to know God and it tries to draw you away from God. It will draw you away from God. It will distract you so that, so that the curiosity God gave you to seek for Him spent in front of a television set or just in front of your computer or sitting on a bar stool or laying in a gutter or in a crack house or trying to find satisfying relationship by moving from one girl to the next or one guy to the next. You're never satisfied and you're always trying to find the perfect one. You're always trying to find the love that never stops and you'll never find it outside of him. Yes. But God's looking for that curiosity of the divine. God is looking for that seeking for him. God's looking for someone who's not going to turn aside over every burning bush. He's looking for someone a little bit more discerning. God's looking for somebody who will turn aside for a bush that is not consumed. Now this is worth stopping for. This is worth turning aside for. And so when Moses turned aside and God saw that he turned aside, then and only then did God speak to him. You better be sensitive to the presence of God. There better be something in your curiosity that, that, that tingles when you get close to where God is because that's when you need to slow down. That's when you need to say, I feel something here. There's... Wait, 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 there's something different about this. God's watching you very closely. And if you'll stop, he'll speak. But if you're too busy, ah, just another burning bush. No, God's not just another burning bush. He's different. He's unique. He is the only one. You need a sensitivity. You need a sensitivity. Oh, God, help us. I've mentioned computers and, and Internet and iPhones. Did you know that with only your smartphone, just your phone, you have more 
mental stimulation in one hour than my grandparents had in a week. I used to wait for days for a letter from my wife. I would check the mailbox three times a day. There's no waiting anymore. Boom. Instant message. Boom. Text. Boom. Email. You just, uh, uh, next thing you know, we'll just think it and it's there. And so, and so you move fast. And you're impatient. And if somebody doesn't reply to your text in five minutes, you're wondering if they're mad at you. And you're already composing something to really tell them off. Well, I didn't really like you in the first place. And this same mentality creeps into our experience with God because we're so fast and we want an instant response and and when and we're so stimulated and, and if we sit if we sit for five minutes without checking our Instagram we are bored and we're wondering what we've missed I'll tell you what we're missing we're missing the deep we're missing the eternal we're missing a relationship with the Almighty God. That's what we're missing. God, deliver us from our devices. We're straight-jacketed and handcuffed by phones. We can't get away. We can't. We, can, we don't have time to pray. How many of you took your phone and checked your phone last time you were talking to God? Can't spend 30 minutes in His presence. And when Moses saw the bush that was not consumed. He turned aside and, and God saw that he turned aside and then God spoke to him and said, Moses. Moses said, here I am. God said, take off your shoes. What does that mean? Well, a few days earlier, or Actually, it wasn't. It hadn't already happened yet. But when we, when, we read about, when we read about the deliverance, the exodus, and God leads Israel out at the Passover night, he tells them to stay in their house and eat, eat with their shoes on. What does that mean? It, means? it means when your shoes are on, which was contrary to custom in that day, you're ready to leave. You don't wear your shoes in the house. Having your shoes on means... You're ready to leave in an instant notice, in a moment's notice, ready to go, ready to drop everything and go. So when, 
Moses turned aside and God wanted to speak to him. God said, take your shoes off. What's that mean? It means I want you to stay for a while. I don't want you to rush off. I don't want you to be in a hurry. Young person, you will never know God unless you slow down. Slow down. Just slow down. Stop. 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 Just stop. Turn off your phone. Put down your other books. Take your Bible. Find a solitary place. Find somewhere that nobody else is at. We've got to get alone with God. He has a word. He will speak to you. It's directly for you. He wants to tell you what you're going to do in your life. He wants to tell you about his will for you. He wants to tell you your mission. Moses, take off your shoes. For the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said to the man who was, who was consumed with curiosity about a burning bush that was not consumed, he said, I am you want to know who God is? But you don't want to be alone. You want to be in the crowd. You can't stand it if they go somewhere without you. But God doesn't speak in the crowd. He speaks alone. If you want a defining moment with God, let, let, let them go. Let them go. It doesn't mean you're better than them. It doesn't mean they're carnal. It doesn't mean anything. It just means I've got to get alone because I want to know him. I want to know him more than I want to know them. I want to know him more than anything. How can I know him? Where can I find his face where, show me, where can I see his glory? Where can I find the will of God? What's the will of God for my life? What, what does God want for me? Who does God want me to marry? What, what should I take in school? What type of education? God, what do you want for me? He will tell you. He will let you know but not in the crowd. Get alone. Prove to him you want to know. Prove to him you are curious. Show him where your greatest desire is. You must have an insatiable curiosity for God that cannot be quenched. You must have a curiosity for God that cannot be filled with Hollywood. In fact, in fact, the very best 
that Hollywood has to offer. The very best, if there, if there is any, yes, there probably is some. There are probably some movies that, that are not filled with sex and rebellion and, and, and gore and murder. There, there probably are, but it's kind of like my wife's old grandpa used to say, there might be a piece of cake at the bottom of the garbage can. But I don't want it bad enough to dig through all the garbage to get it. The very best that Hollywood has to offer is a mere trifle, a distraction to spending time in His presence. In fact, those people who watch movies are destroying their, their nerve endings, their sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Even if they're good movies, even if they're clean movies, you're destroying your sensitivity to holy things. This is holy ground. And so God reveals himself. He says, I am. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. Defining moments are not always shouting moments. And when God reveals himself to you, you probably won't leave that place boasting about it. Because when you see God, it makes you feel like hiding your face. Who can stand in his presence? And say, look at me. No flesh shall glory in his presence. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, this is great God. Why are you telling me all this? Now therefore, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. There's mixed emotions here. I will send thee. Unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? 
What a change between the 80-year-old Moses and the 40-year-old Moses. As a young man of 40, he could do anything. As a young man of 40, he could fix this situation. I will fix it. I will make it work. But after failure and after 40 years in the wilderness, his opinion of self has, has done a 180. Now it's, who am I? And this is, of course, aided by the fact that he stands before the I am. Huh. Who am I? What can I do? I can't do anything. And, of course, the vision of God will always help you to have the proper perspective of self, which is instead of assuming Godship for yourself and coming through as, I am able, I am strong, I am educated, I am experienced, I am capable. Uh, uh, uh. You're assuming Godship. There's only one I am and that's him. When you really get in the presence of the I am, you don't say I am. Unless you're saying who. I am who. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel. And God said, I Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, Notice how Moses approaches this. He's 80 years old. He has learned a few things. He's curious. He wants to know what his name is. Really, he wants to know his question of, of who I am is sincere. It's from a sincere heart. Who am I, Lord? Who am I? I'm 80 years old. I've made a failure. I spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Is this, is this my plan? Is this my purpose? This is one of the questions that curious people take to an all-knowing God. Who am I? And God tells you who you are and what he wants to do with you. And then he said, when they ask me what is his name, what shall I say unto them? A younger man, a younger man would cut, just come right out. Like, Jacob and say, what is your name? Curiosity. I want to know him. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I want to know him. I want to see his face. I want to hear his voice. I want to know who I am in eternity 
I want to know what is my place, what is my mission, what, where does God want me, and what does he want me to do. I still seek his face. I still seek to understand even after pastoring for 35 years, ministry of almost 40 years, I still want to know before I step to the pulpit, God, what do you want me to say? What is your message? I have no message important as what God wants. And so I carefully ask him, what's my mission? What would you have me to say? The second example is the one that I just mentioned, Jacob. We find in, in Genesis chapter 32 that as he is faced with, and this is a defining moment in Jacob's life, the defining moment, as the burning bush was the defining moment in Moses' life. Jacob is faced with his brother Esau. Esau is coming to, to meet him with armed men. And Jacob does not know what's going, what's going to happen. He, he plans the best that he knows how to plan. And, and he sends in groups all of his possessions and, and his belongings and his family on ahead. And then... In verse 24 of Genesis 32, the Bible said, And Jacob was left alone. Or, or, or he rose up that night, verse 22, rose up, took his wives and his women servants, his 11 sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Here we are again with aloneness. Aloneness. Defining moments happen alone. Even if your aloneness is at an altar and there are 2,000 people surrounding you, you forget them. You, you leave them behind. You go into another place. You enter a deeper realm. You get to a closet alone with God. Just as God designed the tabernacle for Moses and the children of Israel to build. You come into the outer court, and there is the brazen altar. Then is the brazen laver. And then there is the holy place with the table of shewbread on the right, the golden candlesticks on the left, and directly in front of you, with nothing in front of it except the veil, and beyond the veil, the Shekinah, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the priest that was to offer praise had to get beyond the repentance. He had to get beyond the cleansing. Thank God for pre-service prayer. He had, he had to put the crowd out of his mind. Everyone else in the ministry had to be behind him. Nothing in front of him except the veiled presence of God. Then and only then could he offer up 
incense and sweet-smelling savor from the altar of praise unto the Lord. We need to learn when we come to the house of God, our praise is unto God. Get your eyes off of the musicians. Get your eyes off of the praise singers. Get your eyes off of your friends. Get your eyes off of the visitors. Get your eyes off of everyone else. And get your eyes on Jesus. Stand in front of the golden altar so that you can give him praise and your attention is fixed on him alone. Too many distractions. Even, even when we come into the place that has been dedicated to him, at the time that has been dedicated to him, there's too many distractions. We're sitting next to our friend and we're worried. We really don't want to give ourselves in total and absolute praise because we think our friend's going to think we're a nut. And we care more about what they think than about what he thinks. Jacob was left alone. If you would have defining moments, if you would know God, if you would wrestle with the angel, if you would have your name changed, if you would if you would get the identity placed on you by God, you will, have, you will have solitary times. You will learn to get alone. You will step aside and take your shoes off and stay in the presence of God until he's finished speaking. He was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this, this man, this, this divine visitor said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, Jacob said, Jacob, this, this, this curious man, Jacob, this man with desire. Jacob, this driven man. Jacob, this deceiver, this supplanter, this tricker. Jacob, there was something in him that said, No, I will not let you go until you bless me. I've stayed here all night. I'm not stopping just because the sun threatens to rise. I will not let you go until you bless me. He was not distracted by his wife or his children at that point. At that point. He was not distracted by his iPhone. Nothing buzzed. Nothing rang. No lights flashed. Nobody knocked on the door and said, Jacob, trouble's coming. He already knew trouble was coming. He wanted a blessing. He'd never wrestled with an angel before. He had never, he had never, he had never laid hold or been laid hold of like this. 
And he said, no, I'm not letting go. I've got a grip. I, I'm not strong enough to overcome. I can't pin you down, but I can hang on. And I'm hanging on until you bless me. I'm hanging on until I get something I've never had before. I've got a feeling you have it in you. I've got a feeling you've got something I want. I've got a feeling you can do something nobody has ever done for me. And he said unto him, what's your name? Oh, my name is Deceiver. My name is Jacob. Why did you ask me that? You know my name. You know who I am. You know what I am. Remember defining moments when you Learn who God is when you get in the presence of God. He reveals who you are and he reveals what you are. And if you really want to change, just hold on and don't let go. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how long it takes. My name is Jacob. And he said, he said, your name will not be called Jacob any longer because this is the hour of your change. This, this is the moment. I'm calling you Israel. You're getting a new name, a new nature, a new identity. No more the deceiver. No more the supplanter. Yes, you can change. Yes, you can change. Don't say, but, but my life is half spent. Don't say, but, but I'm 40 years old or I'm 50 years old or I'm, I'm 80 years old. Don't say, but, but I've, already, I've already married and had children. Don't say, I've already made my mistakes. I, I am Jacob, I am the supplanter, I am the deceiver, and that's what I will always be. No, because change begins to happen when you confess, when you admit, when you say, when you recognize, I am a Jacob, I am a liar. That's what I am. But I want to be blessed and I'm not letting go until you bless me. Yes. All right. You were Jacob, but no more will you be called Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince. Thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. You have laid hold. You have held on. Woo! But it doesn't stop there. Jacob still had an insatiable curiosity. And Jacob asked him and said, 
tell me. I've got a new name. I've got a new, a new nature. I've got a new identity. I've been changed. But I'm still not satisfied. When I leave this place, I will never again be the deceiver. I'm not going to be known as the supplanter any longer. I won't be Jacob. I'm a prince. I've got power with God and power with man. And I have, I have prevailed, but I'm not ready to let you go yet. Tell me, I pray thee, what is your name? Who are you? And he said, Why? Or wherefore is it that thou ask after my name? And, and after he had asked that name, after he had expressed that desire to know more about who he had laid hold of and who had laid hold of him, and he blessed him there. There are some blessings that don't come with the mere change. There are some blessings that don't come with conversion. There are some blessings that don't come even after you've been made a new creature. Even after you've been born again of the water and of the Spirit. There are some blessings that are reserved for those have an all-consuming curiosity, an insatiable curiosity, a curiosity that can never be satisfied. Tell me, while we're here, what's your name? Who are you? I want to know more about you. Oh, I want to know him more than I want to know you, more than I want to know anything. Humanity has this curiosity. The Bible said of the making of many books, there is no end. No end. You could spend your life surfing the web from one subject to another. Your entire life, the rest of your life, without ever stopping to bathe, without ever stopping to, to go to the bathroom, without ever stopping to eat, without ever doing anything else. If you spent the rest of your life doing nothing but cramming your mind full of knowledge, you could never exhaust it because of the making of many books, there is no end. Focus! Focus! What's your name? That's what I want to know. Who are you? What are you like? Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. That's what God's looking for. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved.
quickly, Acts, Acts chapter 9. Young man thought he knew it all. Typical Pharisee, educated, well-educated, typical Jew, proud of his genealogy, proud of his Jewishness, proud of his tribe, and convinced that he's absolutely right. Letters in his pocket from the, from the high priest, recognized by the authorities, political position on his way to the top, recognized, and not only that, he is doing the will of God. Beating Christians, casting them into prison, standing by and holding the coats of those who stoned them to death. Self-righteous, self-convinced, and he's on his way. Yet, Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way... Christianity, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, unlike Moses, who was 80 years old and had spent the last 40 years in the wilderness, unlike Jacob, who was faced with, with a dire circumstances right now, possible destruction, this was a young man on his way to the top, convinced Was he really convinced? Or was there something as I believe in the face of Stephen, in the words of a dying man, was there something that pricked the heart of that self-righteous, educated, know-it-all Pharisee. Something that he meditated on and he couldn't get away from even though he was on his way to continue his, his deeds, his persecution. I believe there was something in his heart. I believe there was a moment because God is a perfect gentleman and never takes away from you the exercise of your free will and never forces on you truth and righteousness. But I believe God saw something in the heart this young man, nobody else could see. Everyone else saw Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, riding on his way. Everybody else saw Saul, convinced. Saul, righteous. Saul. We don't know what's going on in the hearts of people. We don't know what your neighbor is thinking. We don't know what your backslidden children are, are thinking and contemplating. We don't know what, that, what that, that, that young person 
all tatted out, full of body piercings. We don't know what's in their heart. And God forbid that we would lose the opportunity to be the one Who could talk to Paul, Saul? Who could witness to him? But I'm convinced God saw something in this heart. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, the same thing Moses said, the same thing Jacob said, who art thou, Lord? Who are you? All my years of learning, all my education at the feet of Gamaliel, all my Pharisee of the Pharisees, all my tribe of Benjamin, all of, all of my know-it-all, I know you're the Lord because that voice and that light. But suddenly I know that I don't know. Everything I thought I knew is gone. But there, there's something in me. I want to know who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, for those who really want to know, for those who are honest enough to forget their preconceptions, to forget their religious education, their religious upbringing, their religious experience. For those who want to know who he is more than they want to prove their right. He will reveal to you just like he revealed to Saul. I am Jesus. When you say when a, when, a, when a Jew lifts his eyes toward heaven and says, Who art thou, Lord? There's always the Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. There's always the knowledge that the one I'm talking to when I say Lord is one. And the one, the creator, God said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Oh, that changed Saul's life. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, to you and I. He said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but because of that defining moment, but what things were gain to me? Everything that he had just mentioned, all of his, his education, his, his tribe of Benjamin, his Hebrew of the Hebrews, his Israelitism, his everything that was gain to me, he said, those I counted loss for Christ. And I'm You've proven yourselves to be champions, and I'm almost finished. Take hope. Yea, doubtless, he said, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge 
of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the Lord. Not as though I had already attained. Who, Paul? No, no. I haven't already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. This is my life. This is my quest. I want to get a hold of him who got a hold of me. I want to grasp him who, who grasped me. I want... I want to apprehend him who apprehended me. I want to possess he who, appre- who possessed me. I want to, I want to arrest him. I want, I want to stop him. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Was there anyone in, in his day who knew him like Paul knew him, and yet he said, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I, I don't feel like I've got a grasp yet. I think there's more to discover. I think there's more I can learn about him. There's more to know about God. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm not going to build my life on high water marks of the past thank God for the revelations thank God for the experience thank God for the defining moments but there's more in my future there's more ahead I don't feel like I've apprehended everything Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things. I can, I can hear him. There's another burning bush and it's not consumed. Uh, there's his voice leading me. I need, excuse me, excuse me. I need to cross back over the Jabbok for the night. I want to spend some time with him. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Uh, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let's not, let, we're not reevaluating our, our doctrinal position. We are not reevaluating our standards of holiness and righteousness. Whereunto we have already attained, let us, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Look, 
Look, defining moments with God and depth with God does not mean turning your back on how God got you here. Your infilling of the Holy Ghost and what your old pastor put into you and the preaching of the Word of God. Separation from the world. You're not getting deeper. You're leaving the deeps. You're messing around in the shallows. In fact, you've left the river altogether and are playing in a cesspool. As Jeremiah told, God told Israel through Jeremiah, you've, you've forsaken the fountain of living waters and have hewn yourself out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. No, no, no. Paul said, in my, in my desire for God, in my desire for the deep things of God, in my desire to know him, to possess him, to get a grip on him, to, to attain, to apprehend him. Let's walk by the same rule and mind the same thing, the things we've already attained. Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Those that have gone back, those that are in the shallows, those that are drinking from cisterns, mark them. You've got me for your example. I'm the one that taught you women shouldn't cut their hair. I'm the one that taught you to abstain from from the appearance of evil. You mark me for your example. I'm living the way you should be living. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. Earthly things. Professional sports. How much more earthly can you get? Your football games and your basketball games and your baseball games and your hockey games that's earthly that's that earthlings are are worshiping at those idols earthly things hollywood productions whose end is destruction whose god is their belly whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things for our conversation is in heaven whence also we look for the savior We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And finally... Finally, in his teaching of the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, for now, now, right now, we see through a glass darkly. We we, we don't see the real, we see see a reflection, We're, we're seeing Shadows were seen unclearly. But then, now it's partial, but then we shall see face to face. 
this God that when Moses said, show me your glory, showed him his, his back parts, his hinder parts, and had to shield the face of Moses. This, this same God is going to allow us to see him face to face. He said, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. The one who knows Johnny King. The one who knows every deceiver, every supplanter. The one who knows every Jacob, every Moses, every failure, every persecutor. The one who knows, the one who knows me like no one knows me. The one who knows me better than I know myself and, and loves me in spite of it. Then I shall know even as I am known. Today I say, Show me your face. Show me a little more. Speak to me again. Guide me with your eyes. What shall I do in this situation? How can I please you? Draw me closer to you. Draw me nearer to you. If I will continue that quest, if I will not allow that divine curiosity to be trashed, Satisfied with junk, worldliness, counterfeit. If I will continue my quest, if I will continue to desire him, to know him, to apprehend him above all, there's coming a day when I shall see him as he is. I shall see him face to face. I shall know him even as also I am known. The grave is never filled, but when he comes, the grave will be shut forever. The grave will finally be full. The barren womb at the coming of Jesus Christ, will finally give forth. The desert shall blossom with the rain and the never-ending waters. The fire shall finally be quenched and the insatiable curiosity shall be satisfied seeing Him and knowing Him. We're all about Him. Protect your curiosity. Focus it. Don't let it lead you to hell. Don't let your curiosity make you a drunkard, a drug addict, or pornography addict. Don't let your your curiosity that God gave you to know Him cause you to fritter away your time 
in, in totally trivial pursuits. Focus yourself. Spend time alone with Him. Draw near to Him. He will reveal Himself to you bit by bit, day by day, until finally, when we have crossed over, we shall see Him face to face, and we shall know Him as He is. Shall we stand? Thank you, Jesus.